Hey y'all. Welcome to the second episode of Deeply Southern, the podcast where we talk about the legends, history, and folklore of the Deep South and beyond. My name is Skylar. I myself am Deeply Southern, and storytelling is a large part of our lifestyle down here. Somewhere amongst the Spanish moss that hangs from old oaks and the honeysuckle breeze that blows through them is a world with stories unknown by many and truly appreciated by less. Well, I aim to change that, and I sure am glad y'all decided to join me. Before we get into today's story, I'd like to give special recognition to my friend Rob, whose generous contribution made the timely continuation of this podcast possible. Thanks, Rob. I truly appreciate your support. In this episode, we're going to talk about a story that's more personal to me than most, the Wilds Family Massacre, also known as the Last Indian Massacre of Georgia. It involves the gruesome murder of nine of my family members and the bravery of a few children, whom without I wouldn't be here to tell you this story today. Being that there ain't too many people alive that remember a whole lot about what happened, I'll be referring to a written account by Gertrude Wilds, a second great-granddaughter of our lead man in today's story, who recounts these details from her own grandfather's stories. Passed through generations in my family and supported by official documents, this story touches a place in all our hearts and reminds us just how close we were to never being born. I'd like to take y'all back to a little cabin on the edge of the Okefenokee Swamp in June of the year 1832, a time and place that saw the life of Maximilian Wilds his wife Sarah, and their ten children. It seems that Maximilian Wiles was a husky, dominating pioneer that had always taken care of himself and his family and figured he always could. He ran away from his home in England at the age of twelve and hid away on a ship that brought him across the ocean to this wild land where he managed through the dangers and trials of pioneer days in Georgia. He had always taken care of his young wife Sarah, whom he had married when he was quite a young man, and by his own strength, raised and cared for ten children. Now that he was at last settled in a home of his own, with crops and cattle and timber, nothing could make him leave it. It's safe to say this stubborn nature would ultimately be his downfall. I tell you, I don't like what I saw this afternoon. I don't like it at all. Of course, his children begged that he tell them about it, and his wife questioned him repeatedly, but he refused to discuss it for fear of alarming him. It only takes a slight suggestion to ignite a woman's intuition. Sarah knew that Max was not accustomed to such anxiety. She knew, too, it must be no small worry that caused him to pace the floor restlessly as he was doing. She pleaded with him to take her and the children to a neighbor's house for the night, or else take them to the soldier's camp, which was located about five miles away. In his true, stubborn fashion, Maximilian resented her lack of faith in his ability to take care of them, and assured her that she need not fear. You see, what he was holding back from his dear family was what had happened earlier in the afternoon of the same day. Maximilian and his wife had been to a pond near their home, gathering and burning cinnia bushes from which they got lye to make soap. Just as they were preparing to come home, he heard a rustle of limbs a short distance away, and looking in that direction, saw several people hiding, as if they were waiting to ambush. As quickly as possible, he took the bit of cinnia bushes they had secured and hurried home. Sarah did not stop to question his haste until that evening, when his actions led her to believe that he had seen something that aroused his suspicion. 
As the wagon drew up, the family dismissed for a moment their fears and went out to greet two cousins, Alice Wilkinson and her little brother, who came from their neighboring homestead to spend the night. After supper, the children built up a great bonfire and played around until time for bed. Very late in the night, different members of the family were awoken several times by two yard dogs barking furiously, as they were accustomed to do when strangers were nearby. But because the dogs would bark only a short time and then stop, they gave little weight to it, and no one got up to investigate. At daybreak, Miss Wilds went out into the yard by light from the embers of the bonfire. Just as she walked into the yard, she heard a thump thump on the ground nearby. Looking in the direction from whence it came, she became paralyzed with fear at first, but then rushed into the house to the bed where her husband was sleeping. She shook him awake, shouting, Max, the Indians are outside. He jumped out of bed, seized his gun, and shouted in a loud voice, Boys, get your guns and let's kill them Indians. He thought he might frighten them off with his bluff. Truthfully, he had only one gun in the house, and only one boy big enough to even shoulder it. One of the Indians replied from outside in his broken way, We know you got no gun. We know how many of you. They had been lurking around for several days and knew just how he stood. Max went out through an opening at the end of his house where he intended to put the chimney and fired the first shot. Then, like a wave from the ocean, the Indians charged him, wrenched his gun from his hand, and shot him straight through the chest. Mary Ann, his eight-year-old daughter, grabbed the baby and ran, but she and the baby were beaten down. The baby died immediately, and Mary Ann was unmercifully beaten and bruised. Sarah and the rest of the children rushed from the house toward the closest people that could help, but as they ran into the open, the Indians were able to catch five of them. Like the others, they knocked them with clubs and beat them mercilessly. John, the eight-year-old boy, slipped into a bunch of palmettas and crouching there watched as his parents, brothers, and sisters were slaughtered like livestock. The Indians would pass so near him that he could almost touch their feet as they passed. Later, when he saw an opening, he slipped out and ran for a farmhouse about two miles away. Mrs. Wilds managed to run and hide in some bushes. Helpless and unable to aid her children and husband, she waited patiently for some of them to join her. At intervals, she peeped from her hiding spot and saw one after another of her children slain. The path through to safety was open to her, but she refused to take it. Seeing her children and husband killed, and feeling that she had nothing to live for, she gave up, fell upon a log, and didn't try to escape. Maximillian and Sarah Wiles and seven children were killed that day. Four sons, Reuben, Jim, Jesse, and John, escaped, along with Alice, the little girl who came to spend the night. The sound of the massacre spread to the neighbors, who, upon hearing the gunshots, hurried towards the Wilds' place and met the boys who had escaped. Immediately, they took word to a small company of soldiers stationed at the edge of Kettle Creek, about five miles away. Out of fear the Native Americans might continue their march, all the women and children in that section, now known as Waycross, were ordered to gather in an old fort, which still stands today, and place them under guard. The men and soldiers hurried to the scene of the terrible massacre, where they found the home was burned to the ground, the cows pinned up, were bellowing on account of the stench of blood, and dead bodies were lying about. They heard someone calling in a weak voice, 
and turned to find Mary Ann still clinging to the dead baby and calling for water. One of the men rushed off to get it for her, and immediately upon drinking it, she fell over dead. The Native Americans had taken everything they could use, and after burning the house, had destroyed everything else possible. The soldiers, unable to find a covering for the bodies, took from their horses the saddle blankets, wrapped the nine victims, and laid them in the back of a new cart Maximilian had recently made. They were all buried in the same grave, and the stump of a chinaberry tree about four feet high, with its sprouting branches, marks the grave today. Having performed the simple funeral rite, the soldiers rushed ahead and searched at the Native Americans. They tracked them to where they saw the smoke of a campfire, but they had already retreated to the Big Cypress, a dense part of the swamp they used as a hiding place. As well as they could tell, there were about 30 of them altogether. Shortly after this event, it was learned this particular group of Native Americans were Seminoles, and it wasn't long after that, General Oglethorpe ordered all of the Seminoles to be driven out of Georgia. Telling that story again reminds me of two things. First, even though they were my family, and pioneering new land was typical at the time, I have to state the obvious, that if they hadn't been on Seminole land in the first place, they wouldn't have been killed. And secondly, always trust your gut, and don't ever be too stubborn to run and ask for help. I can't say for sure, but I imagine there are some people in my family that hold a grudge against the Seminoles for what they did all those years ago, but I can't say I'm one of them. Of course, I wish none of my family members hadn't been murdered, but considering the struggles the Native Americans faced during this time and continue to face today, I can't blame them for being angry and trying to take back what was theirs. I'm just thankful that the four sons were able to escape and live full lives thereafter one of which was John Wilds, who was my fifth great-grandpa. If you ever find yourself down in Waycross, Georgia, take a trip over to the Okefenokee Swamp Park, where you can visit a life-size replica of the Wilds' cabin, and inside, you'll find artifacts and plaques that tell both of the same story, as well as how they use them cinia bushes to make glass soap. Well, y'all, that about wraps up today's episode. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider checking out the Linktree link in the description of this episode. Just copy and paste it into your browser for links that allow you to offer support, give you additional places to listen to both this and future episodes, as well as a link to my Instagram profile, at Deeply Southern Podcast, where you can see pictures that go along with the stories from every episode. Thank y'all for joining me for another episode of Deeply Southern. I hope you'll tune in next week where I'll tell y'all all about the evil spirits we call Hanks and how we keep them away. <laughs>